This is the day the Lord has made, right? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Absolutely. Well, uh, this past week's been a different week, and we're grateful for that. You know, when one door closes, sometimes there's a window that is open, or sometimes when a window is closed, a door opens. One of the things that we have done in the past in Cambodia is conduct leader care seminars that helps to uh, get the word out into some of the house churches that have been established. Can't go over there anymore, so this past week we did it uh, by uh, another arrangement. We were able to do it by means of the Internet, and it was a virtual seminar. I'm very grateful for that. I just wanted to report to you this morning that we had a little over a 100 who came for that over a period of four days, and so we were very grateful for it and wanted to share that good news with you because the work is going forward there, and this is one of the efforts that contributes to it. It's just a reminder that the doors are not closed. We just have to look to the possibilities of doors that the Lord opens for us at this time. Let's pray together. Our Holy Father, we are grateful to you today that we can be together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can come to bring worship and adoration and praise to you, the Almighty God. We bow before you and thank you that you are our creator, you are our redeemer, and you are our hope. And Father, today we ask especially your blessings to be upon your people, upon this congregation at this time. These have been difficult days, weeks, and months for the past year. And Father, we pray that you'll lead us out of this. Show us the way. Help us to be sensitive to the ways that you would have us to go. Help us, Father, to see the opportunities that you provide for us and be ready and willing to take advantage of every opportunity that that is provided. Forgive us of our sins today, and especially at this time, Father, as we have been singing about your holiness and your majesty, may we ascribe glory and honor to your name now and forevermore. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The word lifestyle came into our vocabulary in a very prominent way, probably around 1960. Interesting that it wasn't there uh, to a great degree before then, but there are very few of us would have known about it anyway. But anyway, around 1960 or so, it got into the vocabulary more so uh, than in the past. And when we think about lifestyle, I think all of us have something of the same thing in mind. We're thinking about the manner of living, how a person lives. We're thinking about the values to which a person commits himself or herself. We're thinking about the attitudes that a person has that a person demonstrates. So our lifestyle then has to do with the way we relate to one another. It has to do with the way we spend our time. It has to do with the way we communicate with one another, how we talk to one another. It has to do with the values that we appreciate and to which we give ourselves in our life. It has to do with our ethics. It has to do with our priorities. Well, you take all of those and roll them up into one, and you basically have lifestyle. 
And to a great degree, uh, each person's lifestyle is unique. But on the other hand, there are things that are in common, especially among those committed to the same principles. So the question now, and I want you to think about this this morning. Is the Christian's lifestyle to be any different from those around us? Are we to be different? Is it just for different sake? Is that why we're to be different? You know, the Christian's lifestyle certainly should be different from what it was before a person became a Christian. It should be different from those around us who hold to the value system of our world. Now, I know that when we say that, some people are going to think that Christians are strange indeed if uh, they hold to that kind of lifestyle. I want you to keep your Bible open to this reading in 1 Peter. When Peter was writing this letter, he was writing to exiles. That's the way they're described. The term even comes up in, uh, close to our reading today. These are exiles in the sense that they are Christians in this world. Exiles and pilgrims. Because, you see, this is not our permanent home. We are sojourners here. Now think about that. We are sojourners. And so we are called at this time to be different. But I don't know whether the word different is the better term for us. I want to get the word transformed into this. We are called to a transformed life. Whether things are going great, or whether there's COVID-19 that is ravaging the world, or whether there's temperatures dropping to down to uh, zero degrees, we are called to be transformed. So at this present time, to this group here this morning, we are called to be a transformed people. That's what our Christian lifestyle is about. But what is it that is going to make us to be that transformed people. I know there are many areas to consider, but I want to focus on some basics today. I want to both, uh, uh, focus upon insights that we need at this time. Insights that will help us in determining and deciding the way our lifestyle will go. Because you have control over your lifestyle. You have control over your thoughts. So what are they? First, if you look at this passage as it is developed, you're going to see that we need a vision of God. I can't think of anything any bigger today to emphasize than for Christians, for us, to have a vision of who God is. You recall when Isaiah was, was called to the work of being a prophet, in Isaiah 6, that what he discovered immediately is the way the seraphim were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so today, I want to begin on this note. We have not emphasized adequately in this congregation or 
any other congregation that I know of, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Let's start there today. Our God is holy. And here in verses 15 and 16, notice now what Peter is calling for. Peter says, as he who called you is holy, so you be holy. God who called us is a holy God. That goes all the way back to what the Israelites were to discover in the book of Leviticus. Let me stress today two very important thoughts that emerge about God in the whole of the Old Testament. You know, of course, one of them is this. There is one God. One God. The second is so very important. The one God is a holy God. Holy. Now, uh, he is holy because he is different. He's unique. There is no other like him. I am God and not man. He is holy because of his ethical goodness. The God who is holy is too pure, has eyes that are too pure, to look upon evil and to approve of evil. So today, we begin on this note then, that God is holy. Let me just for a moment ask you to think with me. I think if we were to ask many people, what is the basic nature of of God? I gave myself away. What is the basic nature of God? Many people would say, God is love. Now, I don't want in any way to undercut that. God is love. But even basic to that is the holiness of God. The basic nature of God is holiness. And it is love out of that holiness that makes him distinctive. So, God is holy. Do you appreciate the holiness of God? today, that we have come together in the presence of a holy God. Now, in the same passage, Peter reminds us of something else that is based on that holiness, and that is that God is judge. And the statement is made that he judges impartially. I I like that term, impartially. Because the, the original term literally means does not look upon the face of another. He doesn't look upon your face to distinguish you from this one. Or to look on your face to distinguish you from this one. God is impartial. And his judgment is an impartial judgment. His judgment is a universal and individual judgment. Each one. And Paul joins with him and says that all will stand before God in judgment, and each of us will give an account. So it is an impartial judgment that is based upon our deeds. You know what that means? When he says based upon our deeds, that takes us back to lifestyle. Our judgment, the judgment before God will be based upon our lifestyle, how we're living before God. He's holy. He's judge. But in the same setting, also a manifestation of his holiness. In verses 18 through 20, God is redeemer. The judge 
the Redeemer. A meaningful term found a number of times in the New Testament in different settings. But I think the best way to to get the picture of what redemption or redeeming is about is to think in terms of a slave. And there were many slaves in the New Testament time, millions of them. Now, it was possible for a slave to be released from slavery. How? By means of payment. So an adequate payment could be made, and a slave could be released. Now, the passage before us says that we have been ransomed, we have been redeemed. Now, that is a redemption from a former lifestyle, the ways inherited. Get the picture again. Here is one lifestyle. We have been redeemed from that lifestyle. What does that mean? A price has been paid that we must, that we no longer have to remain in that lifestyle, in that captivity. And what is it that has taken place in this? It is not by money. That's the way soldiers were redeemed if they'd been captured. That's the way slaves were redeemed if they were to get their freedom. But Peter says, no, there wasn't any money. As a matter of fact, you know, there's a lot of gold in Fort Knox. But there's not enough gold in Fort Knox to remove one sin. Not one. So it is not by gold or silver. But why? What means? Oh, today... I wish every Sunday when we come together, we could just appreciate that we are coming to celebrate the Lamb that was slain. And that's what this passage is saying, that it was by the precious blood of Christ. Notice not just by the blood of Christ, by the precious blood of Christ. It is precious because of who He is. God's Son, having come in the flesh, Not just a Levitical priest, not a goat or a bull or a calf that had been offered in the past, but the precious blood of God's Son, redeemed by that means. And that is designed according to what God had purposed. It isn't something that just happened all of a sudden. Peter reminds us that the coming of Jesus Christ and the atoning work of Jesus Christ in our redemption was in the plan of God from way back there, to say the very least. So God is holy. And God is judge. You and I are going to stand before him. Every one of us. And God is redeemer. He he sent his son. His son offered a sacrifice. Keith, not the blood of a bull or a goat. He offered the sacrifice of himself, Andy. He himself went to the cross. Redeemer. And as the Redeemer, he is our resurrection power. This same passage reminds us that we are believers in God. Aren't we? Aren't we all believers in God this morning? We are believers in God. And he says that we who are believers in God believed in him who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. The God of resurrection power. I don't know of anything that you and I can think of 
since creation at least, that can be more demonstrative of divine power than resurrection. How many times have you seen people go out into a graveyard and call people from the dead and they rise? Not known. That's not happened. But God is the God of resurrection power. Abraham believed that. And if you have the kind of faith that we were talking about last week that Abraham had, you have the kind of faith in God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that are not seen. Resurrection power is the power of God. And so, what's the meaning of that? Paul says, that, that means that we don't rely on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. I want you to get a picture, a vision of God today. It'll make a difference today. It'll make a difference in our worship right now. This is not the time to sleep. This is the time to think of being in the presence of God. What kind? Who is this God? This passage reminds us of who God is. Now, that should not just be a, a kind of cathartic experience. But what do we do as a result of this? As you look at the passage further... It gives us a vision of the response that you and I are to make to God. What kind of response? Well, you guessed it. A response of holiness. God is holy. I am holy, therefore you be holy. And in verses 14 and 15, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conformed, but be transformed into the likeness of God, of of Jesus Christ. The standard for us today is God. He who called you is holy. Look to him. I have known some very good people in life, and I appreciate all of them so much. None of them would ever claim perfection. All of them sought, that I'm thinking of, sought to live close to the Lord and be faithful to Him. I'm grateful for them that they would point me in the direction of God. See God as He is presented. I saw the Lord, Isaiah said, high and lifted up. And here are the heavenly beings crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And now, as He is holy, you be holy. Now that doesn't mean to wear some kind of halo around your head. It doesn't mean to be a holy Joe. As a matter of fact, it is very, very practical. I think one of the best definitions of it is the way Paul gave it in 1 Thessalonians 2. Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. Commit your lifestyle to being one that is acceptable to God who has called you. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. We are called to holiness. 
In the same setting, in verse 17, conduct yourself with fear. And that doesn't mean the fear of God as though God has a baseball bat in his hand and he's about to whack you over the head with it. That's not the kind of fear that is uh, under consideration. It is a fear that is reverence. It is a fear that says, oh, that's who God is. Oh. And so he urges us to remember that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, just as the writer to the Hebrews has stressed. Reverence, then, is the recognition, I am living my life in the presence of God 24 hours a day. Not just when we are together at 10.30 on Sunday morning. What a difference that makes. A reverence for God. Remember, the wise man wrote, the fear of the Lord, same term, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the value of this reverence. One other thought that you find in verse 13, and he stresses consistency. Holiness, reverence, consistency. Preparing your minds for action, as the English Standard Version renders it. And in the similar statement, Jesus urged, as given in the Gospel of Luke by the Eastern uh, English Standard Version, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Stay dressed for action. So this simply is saying, pull yourselves together. Be mentally prepared for the tough times, for the work, tough work. It says, during a time of COVID-19, prepare your minds for action. It says in a time when we're nearly freezing to death as a few days ago, prepare yourselves for action. Be prepared. I think if we were to say it in Arkansas, we'd say, hey, roll up your sleeves and get to work. And that's basically what Peter is urging here. Roll up your sleeves. Take off your jacket for the task at hand. Now, this is based on sober living. I want to get that word sober in there. He says being sober-minded. Now, immediately when we think about being sober, we think about alcohol, not drinking alcohol. Well, okay, that's applicable. A person who is sober is not uh, influenced by alcohol. So, guard against uh, intoxicating liquor, yes. But in this particular setting, it is guard against intoxicating thoughts. There are all kinds of thoughts that the devil wants to place into your mind and my mind to lead us this way or that way or that way. But he urges us, be sober-minded. Keep your thinking right, because your thinking is going to determine what your action is. How important that is. One time Martin Luther was speaking about the importance of thinking, and he was saying that uh, our thoughts are somewhat like this situation. We can't keep the birds from flying over us. They do. It's wonderful. See the birds fly. But we can keep them 
from building a nest in our hair. And so there are thoughts that float around out there. But we can put a guard on our response to them. And so, what a way for us to bring this to a close then. When he urges, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought about at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've tried to stress the last two or three weeks the importance of hope. And I want you to see today how this text is one that really brings us to the idea of hope, where we have the vision of who God is, and we give ourselves in dedication to Him. And we set our hope fully on God. And by setting our hope fully on God, we realize that will become a reality when Jesus Christ our Lord comes. I I don't know what the future holds. You and I don't know that, but we do know who holds the future. And what we're urging today is, he's the holy God, and let him have control over our lives. We are believers in him, and the passage closes out on the note of, who through him are believers in God, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Not in some kind of system, not in some kind of organization, but in God. May that be where our hope and our faith are placed. We see who God is. And we get a vision of how we ought to respond to him. You may have heard of Robert Frost, a New England poet. Uh, Sometimes I have difficulty understanding some of his poems, but I understand them. that's not uh, any fault of Robert Frost. Uh, I like uh, this one. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that's made all the difference. <clears throat> I don't know exactly what Frost had in mind there. But I'm saying today that when we take this road of our committing ourselves to God, it may be the road less traveled by, but it makes all the difference now and in eternity. So, you and I can be different Because God has made a difference in our lives. And I urge you today to commit yourselves to him, to that lifestyle that honors the holy God. Jesus makes it possible for us to have our sins removed by that shedding of blood that we've seen earlier. As we're baptized into his death and raised to walk in newness of life, he makes that possible. And we're ready to assist today any person who wishes to make that beginning. But perhaps, as you look at this, there is a need to renew, recommit yourselves to the holy God. And ask for the congregation to pray with you and for you in that regard. And we are here ready to do that while together we stand and sing.